Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, where each week, Dr. Frank Domino, along with his guests, translates today's late-breaking clinical research and news into tomorrow's practice. Now, broadcasting from the University of Massachusetts Medical School in Worcester, Mass., your host, Dr. Frank Domino, professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health, and editor-in-chief of the 5-Minute Clinical Consult series. Brad, a 15-year-old, is here with his mom for his school physical. He has no complaints and states he likes school and seems to be a happy, stable teenager. His BMI is 31 today. Before mom leaves the room, she states, Brad is so busy, I don't think he's getting enough sleep. He has band practice, a job after school, and lots of homework. He sleeps with his cell phone and his music on. He's up late every night and up early for school and gets about six hours of sleep each night. Is that okay? Hi, this is Dr. Frank Domino, family physician and professor at the University of Massachusetts Medical School's Department of Family Medicine. Joining me today to discuss about teenage sleep issues is Dr. Susan Feeney, assistant professor and coordinator of the Family Nurse Practitioner Program at the University of Massachusetts Medical School's Graduate School of Nursing. Hi, Susan. Hey, Frank. So Brad's a fairly typical teen. Yep. He's involved with his technology. He's quite committed and possibly overcommitted. Um, Mom asks a good question. What's considered an adequate night's sleep for a teenager? Well, according to the National Sleep Foundation, they, they look at it and they break adolescence into two groups, 11 to 13 and 14 to 17. So 11 to 13-year-olds should get nine hours of sleep a night, which is more than 540 minutes. That's a lot. And 14 to 17-year-olds should get a minimum of eight hours or greater than 480 minutes. But they also talk about sleep efficiency. And that's basically how much time that they're sort of resting in bed are they actually asleep. And optimum is at least, is greater than 85% of the time should be sleep efficiency. So we do have some, some numbers. And clearly, from his history, he's, he's well below where he should be. He certainly is. So um, there's some recent literature that we should discuss. What are the risks to teens if their sleep period is short and of poor quality? Well, there was a recent study by Dr. Feliciano, um, and it was a very interesting study. It was a cross-sectional work um, on uh, teenagers from Central Mass. These were uh, teenagers recruited from the Atreus Health uh, uh, System. There was a project started over 20 years ago where they enrolled uh, uh, pregnant women and then they followed the mothers and their children for various reasons. And so what this study did is recruited um, over a thousand of these teenagers to be in the study and they followed them with wrist um, wa- you know wrist watches that monitored their sleep and their activity um, and out of that they got 829 kids who actually fit the valid protocol that, that, that kept the watch on for more than five days and kept it on for more than 10 hours a night and they looked at their sleep and what they found was there was a direct correlation or association I should say between length duration of sleep and sleep efficiency and cardiometabolic risk factors Um, so they looked at a variety of cardiometabolic risk factors which were um, they looked at their adiposity so they looked at their uh, um, BMI and their uh, fat percentage they looked at um, 
their systolic blood pressure. They had they used the um, homeostatic model assessment for insulin resistance, looking at fasting insulin and fasting glucose, and then they looked at triglycerides and HDL, um, and then they derived a score from that. So it was a pretty intensive look, and what they found was that um, there was a correlation between the longer somebody slept and the better their efficiency, the lower their cardiometabolic risk factor was. Um, what was also very interesting is they found out of this 829 kids that the mean sleep was just below, um, it was like seven hours, uh, which is kind of astonishing. I mean, you think that it's supposed to be eight hours for the 14-year-olds and up, and from 11 to 13, it should be nine hours. Um, and efficiency was an average of 84%. So out of these kids, you know, there was only tw- um, there was only 2.2% or 18 people out of that group that met the minimum requirements for sleep. Wow. Yeah. So quite a large percentage of the population, you know, 98%, are not meeting uh, the minimum requirements, and that's increasing a variety of uh, intermediate outcomes that can be worrisome, especially right. as they go into adulthood. What do we know about uh, about sleep going forward? Is there any data that shows improved quality of sleep um, can affect real-world outcomes? Well, there was a, a systematic review done uh, recently, and uh, what they looked at, and they looked at a multitude of, of studies, and they found that, um, which we've known for a while, is short duration of sleep is associated with, with poor cardiometabolic outcomes, but also it's directly related to obesity. That the, the, lo, the shorter periods of time people sleep, the greater the association with obesity. They also found that just overall quality of life and well-being through uh, poor emotional regulation was associated with short sleep uh, duration and that um, you know cognitive ability was impaired so you know it's kind of hard to talk to teenagers about you know we want to reduce your insulin resistance so you don't get diabetes when you're 45 right but we can say things like but if you get a good night's sleep you might be thinner you might be able to be less angry you might be able to do better in school and better on the field in, in your sports um, you'll be safer behind the wheel. Um, you know, so there are some things we can say to them that we have real data on that we can help them hopefully get the sleep they need. And I think that's probably tuning into where their interests lie. If you say, gee, you want to try to get your weight better, um, you want to try to do better in school, one of the things we know that'll really help is trying to get you a little bit more sleep. So now how do we counsel Brad and his mom? He's, he's going to bed every night with his, with his cell phone. Any advice? It's really tough because we are so tethered to these things, but I, I, I know that there's a very high percentage of kids that sleep with their devices and they ding all night, right? So I think maybe speaking to him about that, that, that even though he may not feel that he's getting inefficient sleep, that we know he is. So that even if he's only getting his six hours, let's maximize that. So look at that first. Let's see if we can take the distractions away, take the screen away for at least a half hour before he tries to initiate sleep. Um, and then start thinking about how can we get your sleep now from six hours to seven hours, and maybe from seven hours to eight hours, and work with him on, like you would with uh, someone on exercise and diet, what are things you could do during the day um, that w- might imp- give you more time to get to bed on time. There's, there are some structural things that, that are against kids. Um, most teenagers, their circadian rhythm is that they want to stay up. That's, that's a normal, we know that. We've got lots and lots of data on that. 
So we, we give them all these things to do. They naturally want to go to bed later. And then we make them get up at 6 o'clock to go to school because that's the where our school is. And some schools are actually, some school districts around the country have, changed, have flipped it. So the little kids are going to school earlier and the teenagers are going to school later because it is an issue. There's been a trend across the country that adolescents are sleeping less and less and less. And I think it's a big problem for them now and down the road. I couldn't agree more. And I think it is ironic that we ask the people who are least able to get up early and go to school to do so. And the many reasons I hear for this is that so that they can participate in adequate after-school activities. So the, the, the tail is wagging the dog. Right. So it, it really is a very interesting phenomenon. I think this is a great study. I think that the interesting thing is how few teens are getting adequate sleep. And the systematic review saying really hard outcomes like weight loss and better emotional health can be obtained just by altering your sleep schedule. Right. Any final thoughts, Susan? Well, I think it's something that a lot of times, because there's so many risk factors that we talk to teens about, that sometimes we don't even get to talk to them about sleep because we're talking about you know sex, drugs, and rock and roll, which are really important. But I think we need to drill down and not only like you know, are you sleeping okay? Do you you know? Because we look at we think about you know uh, depression screens. So are you falling asleep okay? Or are you staying asleep? That's only the tip of the iceberg. We need to say. When do you go to bed? When do you wake up? Are you waking up during the night? Do you feel rested? Are you falling asleep behind the wheel? Um, there, we really have to drill down on their quality of sleep and, and do that efficiently, and it's something we need to keep track of. Well, thank you, Susan. You're welcome. Practice pointer. The vast majority of adolescents probably get inadequate sleep. Doing so increases their risk for adverse outcomes both cardiometabolic as well as obesity, emotional health, and academic achievement. Query your teens about how much and how well they sleep. Join us next time when we discuss the role of budesonide and motorol use in mild persistent asthma. And for more timely, relevant, and practical medical education, check out primed.com. Thank you for listening to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, brought to you by PrimeMed. For more information about the article referenced in today's episode, look under the Resources section of the episode landing page. Need help reaching your CME credit goal this year? If so, please browse the more than 300 free CME-accredited activities now available on PrimeMed.com. Thank you again for listening.